Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Thank you, Rebecca. Let me just say very quickly, too, before she steps down, um, Jonathan and her are in a very difficult place, South Asia. They're there full-time. We partnered with them, uh, I don't know, a couple years ago now, had been taking trips, and we have increased our numbers of trips every year. So this coming year, 2016, we have four trips planned to South Asia. We take really small teams because of the nature of what they're doing and the secrecy of what we have to do there. Uh, I'm excited to tell you the January team is already filled up. I'll be leading that team. We're leaving the latter part of January. We'll be gone about 10 days. A trip in March is already filled up. And we got people praying about our other two trips. So if you are interested in South Asia, if you've prayed about it, thought a little bit about it, uh, come talk to me, come talk to Randy, because those trips are available next year. Two of them are still available summer and fall of 2016. So thank you again for what you do. Let's thank her again for her service and all she's given, okay? Thank you, Rebecca. Amen. Let me pray for us now. Father, we love you and serve you. are thankful for... All you've done for us, Father, I pray specifically for all the men and women that are overseas right now, that are serving you, that have given their lives, that have sold everything, Father, to live in a foreign country, oftentimes in very difficult circumstances. Lord, I pray for their strength and their courage. I pray for their walk with you. I pray for their safety. I pray for their funding. I pray that they would be bold. I pray that they would be wise in the decisions they make. And Lord, I pray for Jonathan and Rebecca specifically in South Asia, Lord, as they work with an unreached group, Lord, with the millions of people that have never heard the name Jesus Christ. I pray you would give them courage and strength, Father, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray for our church as we continue to send teams around the world. I pray for our partnership in South Asia. I pray that it would grow and increase. And Father, we would be able to walk alongside these precious missionaries to accomplish your will and your purpose in all things, Father. Be with us as we study your word this morning. Through the power of the Spirit, may we be transformed more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. We are taking, again, some time off from Genesis over the next few weeks because I want to think through the birth of Christ and all that that means for us. And I want to encourage you as we study this and as we read through this, just to let the Word of God invade your heart. Just invade your thoughts, just to invade your minds. I did something last week that I've not done before. I took some vacation days over the Thanksgiving break, and so I actually had the whole week off. And we decided, because I had the week off, we wanted to take the family camping. Now, we camp in tents. The camps camp in tents, all right? We don't have an RV yet. Maybe when I'm a little older, we can get a nice RV. I just kind of look at the RVs with the big slide outs and the big dishes on top, and I kind of drool a little bit, you know, wishing I had one. But I was in a tent, and if you didn't pay attention at the beginning of last week to the weather forecast, it got down into the low 30s on Monday and Tuesday. Those of you that were in your nice warm beds, it didn't matter to you, but those of us that were outside sleeping on the ground, it got cold. And so we were aware of what was going to happen. We were aware of the temperature. And if you've never slept in a tent... When it's hovering at the freezing point, you need to understand that before you go do that, you better be prepared. And so we thought through it a little bit. We were were prepared. We showed up and we had plenty of wood for a really good warm fire we could sit around. 
We had sleeping bags that were rated for lower temperatures. We had a lot of extra blankets. We were prepared. And as I started thinking about this week and this sermon and kind of preparing for Christmas, I was reminded that we prepare for a lot of things in life, don't we? We prepare for tests, we prepare for presentations at work, we prepare for vacations, and this time of year specifically, we prepare for Christmas. We start getting ready. Some people get ready sooner than others. How many have already put up Christmas decorations? Just out of curiosity, quite a few. No joke, we we always buy our Christmas tree the day after Thanksgiving. We went up to the farmer's market on Friday And when we got back in the van, we kind of calculated. There were 32 Rosemont members walking around looking for trees at that moment. I almost passed an offering plate. I was looking for some ushers. (laughs) But it's the time of year we prepare. We've got Christmas decorations up. We've already started shopping. Some people have already finished their shopping. Amen. Some people haven't even started their shopping. But it's a time that we prepare for Christmas, right? And when we prepare for Christmas, we buy gifts and we put up decorations and we do all the things we're supposed to do. But I want to challenge you with a thought this morning. We prepare our houses and we make arrangements to see our family and time off from work. We prepare all those things. But when's the last time we intentionally tried to prepare our hearts for Christmas? When's the last time you started thinking about your heart? Lord, I'm going to have the tree up and I'm the decorations up and I'm going to buy all the presents and I'm going to have the food cooked and the family's coming this day and we're going out of town this day and we're going to go ride the carousel this day. You got all this stuff planned. When's the last time you prepared your heart? Because I believe with all my heart, this is the greatest story ever told. It's the heart of salvation in Jesus Christ and it's, it's why we worship him And I think we fail far too often to prepare our hearts and our minds for all he has for us. So this morning, by studying in the Gospel of Luke, we're going to understand a little bit better how to prepare our hearts. Now Luke, let me give you just a couple of facts. Some of you are familiar with the Gospel of Luke. Luke, of course, was written by Luke, who was a a doctor. He was a physician. And he spent a lot of time researching and studying. And he actually, you may not know this, but Luke, of course, wrote the book of Acts as well. There's a tie there. He talks about Theophilus in the beginning of Luke and the beginning of Acts. And so we we know that he wrote both books. But if you were to add up all the words that Luke wrote, he actually wrote more in the New Testament than Paul did. Paul wrote more books. Luke actually wrote more words. And if you're looking for a clear biblical account of the birth of Jesus Christ, you're only going to find it in Luke 2. Now, the other Gospels, some of the other Gospels mention the birth, but if you want the detailed account, and especially the the, the weeks and the months leading up to the account of the birth of Christ, you can only find it in Luke. Matthew begins with the genealogy of Christ, mentions some of the events leading up to the birth, but the birth itself, no details are given. Mark actually begins with Christ's baptism and his beginning of ministry. John, of course, begins with the baptism of Christ and with the prologue. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. But the only place we can read in clarity about the birth and the preparation of the birth is in the book of Luke. And so I want to think through this morning the idea of preparing our hearts and the promise of the Lord And how we're going to see some interesting tie-ins between what we've been studying in Genesis and what we're going to see in Luke chapter 1. So with your Bibles open, Luke chapter 1, we're going to begin in verse 1. The writings of Luke. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us 
just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the world. With, excuse me, of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too, this is Luke writing, have decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Now, verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the commands and decrees blamelessly, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Now, I want to, in mindset as we think through this, the mindset ought to be the idea of preparation. I want to think about how we can begin to prepare our hearts for Christmas, how we can prepare our hearts for the birth of Jesus Christ, how we can prepare our hearts for the Messiah. And so the first truth I want you to see, and we're going to think through this a little bit, number one, is that we can prepare our hearts for Christmas by being reminded of God's promise of Messiah. One of the ways you ought to be preparing for Christmas is by remembering the promises of the Lord for Messiah. Now, it wasn't as if when this was written that Messiah just one day appeared. It wasn't as if the Lord just woke up one morning and kind of decided, yeah, today's as good as any other. Why don't we let Jesus be born this day? Instead, what we see and understand is from the very beginning, God had a plan to bring Christ to the earth. Now, Luke's intent in writing the Gospel of Luke is, in his own words, to give us an orderly account of the life of Christ. So Luke writes this letter to Theophilus. The Bible doesn't tell us who he is. Most scholars believe he was an influential, maybe a wealthy man. But Luke decides to write this letter, and he says, as he writes it, I want to give you this careful, orderly account. I'm going to base this account, Luke says, on written sources and eyewitness descriptions. And because Luke was a physician and detail was important to him, he spent a lot of time researching and reading and talking to people. And through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we have a detailed account of the birth of Christ. But here's what I want you to understand as we walk through this process together this morning. I want you to see and understand the connection between what happened all through the Old Testament and the birth of Jesus Christ. I want you to understand that from the beginning of time, God had a plan to send Christ to this earth. The Old Testament matters because it's building up all these prophecies and all these predictions and all these pictures of the coming Messiah. I've summarized it like this before. If you want to kind of simplify things, all of the Old Testament looks ahead to who Jesus was going to be. All of the New Testament looks back on his work. That's basically what the Bible is. 
And so we can see the Old Testament and we can understand that the Old Testament is going to look ahead to exactly who Jesus is. Now, if you were to study through Genesis, which we're doing in Exodus and Leviticus and on through the Old Testament, we're thousands of years before the birth of Christ at that point. But as we move now into Luke chapter 1, we're just a, a few months before the birth of Jesus Christ. And so I wanted to spend just a couple of minutes reminding you of some of the things that we've seen in our study of Genesis that point ahead to the birth of Christ. Now remember, we've been studying Genesis this entire year, and we're able to fast forward through generation after generation by one chapter to the next. But when this was written to Luke, it had been probably 1,500 years or so since Abraham lived. And so we're going to compress an awful lot of history into just a couple of minutes here. But I want you to understand the connection between the Old Testament and the prophecies leading up to Christ. Now, I've read some of these verses before. In fact, we studied through them in Genesis. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time going over them again this morning. But I want you to be reminded of the Old Testament looking ahead to Christ. The first picture that we see... And the first verse that we read is Genesis 3.15. I hope by the time we finish studying Genesis, you can remember and maybe even quote Genesis 3.15. Because Genesis 3.15 is really in the scriptures, the first picture of Messiah. I had the opportunity last week to hear Dr. Aiken, who is the president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary in Wake Forest. Very well-known president, godly man, an incredible preacher, incredible uh, study and written numerous books. But he was talking about this idea and he was talking about the Old Testament. And he says he believes of all the Old Testament, Genesis 3.15 may be the most important verse because it sets the stage, it sets the tone for Messiah. So I just want to read it to you. You don't have to look back, but let me just read it to you. Genesis chapter 3.15, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. After Adam and Eve have sinned, the Lord is pronouncing judgment upon them and upon the serpent. And he says to the serpent, this is to the enemy, this is to Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman. So the the Lord says to Satan, I'm going to put anger or hatred between you, enemy, devil, and Eve. And between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head, you will strike his heel. Now we've seen that before, we've studied it, but it's just a reminder that from the very beginning, Satan was going to always be kind of nipping at the heels of Jesus. He was always going to be attacking Jesus. He was always going to try to be destroying Jesus and killing Jesus and stopping Jesus from eventually being born in this earth. And he, he does that even in the New Testament. But we understand from this prophecy in Genesis chapter 3.15 that even though the enemy is going to be attacking the Lord, that eventually Messiah will crush the head of the serpent. Now we see that in Genesis 3, we see it in Genesis 5, we see it in Genesis 12 with the calling of Abraham. That's just the first part of the book of Genesis. But if you were to go through the Old Testament and kind of pay attention and take notes, you would read over 300 prophecies all written hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus Christ that point to Messiah. So the point is, and this is important, this was not a random, isolated event. It was the fulfillment of centuries of promises, centuries of prophecies. And if you really want to truly prepare your heart for Christmas and prepare your heart for all that Christ is and all Messiah means, you need to understand, you need to be reminded of all the Lord has done since the beginning of time to prepare the way for Christ. Now let's take a look in Luke chapter 1 just for a few minutes because there's some interesting things I want you to notice. 
some things that will help us understand this prophecy. Just the names are fascinating to me. Let me tell you what I mean. Zechariah, who's the priest. If you were to, you, you can look all this up on your own if you'd like to. In fact, you should do that. Zechariah means the Lord remembers. His wife, Elizabeth, means oath or covenant of God. So their names put together, Zechariah and Elizabeth, who are the people in Luke chapter 1, their names put together means that the Lord remembers his covenant. Isn't that interesting? Now let's add one interesting thing to this. Their son is going to be named John, John the Baptist, and we'll talk about him as we move forward. John means that Yahweh is gracious or that God has shown favor. So one writer kind of summarizes it like this. Taken all together, Zechariah, Elizabeth, and John, we have the Lord remembers his covenant and shows favor. Isn't that interesting? It's an amazing picture of the beauty of the promises of the Lord. Now, if you were to read about Zechariah and you were to read about Elizabeth in verse 6, the Bible tells us they were both faithful. They were both righteous they both observed all of the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Now, this is just a side note, and it's not, the, it's not the point of this text, but I think it's important for us to point out as we kind of think through this husband and wife, the idea that both of them were serving the Lord, the idea that both of them were righteous, the idea that both of them observed everything the Lord commanded them ought to be a picture of marriage, shouldn't it? We, we shouldn't have one spouse that's sold out to the Lord and the other that's not. We shouldn't have one spouse that's interesting in obeying the truth of the word of God and one that's not. We shouldn't have one that's interested in coming to church and worshiping the Lord and studying the Bible and the other that's not. The Lord uses these couples for a lot of reasons, but I think one of the reasons that he uses them is because they were both righteous and they both observed the Lord's commands. You know, if you want the Lord to use you, if you say, I have, a, I have a real desire for the Lord to use me and to work through me, why don't you begin by being righteous and obeying his commands? <laughs> That's an easy place to start. God says, I'm going to use these people. I'm going to use Zechariah. I'm going to use Elizabeth. They are righteous. They are godly. They are obedient. And I'm going to use them to accomplish great things. But here's a problem. Now, again, we're making connections here between Genesis and Luke. It's the same problem we've seen several other times through Genesis, and it's a problem we see in other parts of the Old Testament. Elizabeth, who was a godly woman, the Bible tells us that in fact she was barren. Look at verse 7. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. Now, who does this sound like to us? Abraham and Sarah, doesn't it? It's exactly who it is. It's a picture, it's a reminder. Of all that's happened in the Old Testament, just let me just read a couple of names to you and tie this in with the story we've been studying. Sarah, mother of Isaac, wife of Abraham, was barren. Remember the story. Rebecca, the wife of Isaac and the mother of Jacob and Esau, was also barren. Rachel, who we haven't gotten to, the mother of Jacob and Benjamin, was barren. Hannah, the mother of Samuel, was barren. There's a list, a long list in the Old Testament of these women who were barren, who couldn't have children. And all of these women, including Elizabeth and Luke chapter 1, were miraculously given children by the Lord after years of struggle. It's a reminder of the promise of the Lord, even in difficult times. You see that? And we've brought that truth out several times in Genesis. And we've shown how even in struggle and even in times of difficulty, that the Lord's promises prevail 
that they're still real, that he hasn't forgotten them. We fast forward and now all the way to Luke chapter 1 and we see this same exact idea. That even though this is a struggle for them, even though life may be difficult for them because of this situation, the promises of God have not been forgotten. So if you want to prepare your hearts for Christmas, I would encourage you to begin by understanding the promises of the Lord. By understanding the promises and the prophecies that he's been preparing the way for Messiah really from the beginning. Now let's continue in verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, right? So Zechariah is chosen, he's a priest. The idea of being chosen and going into the temple was a once in a lifetime, literally kind of a deal. There were thousands of priests, they got chosen by lot, which means they would roll a dice or do some sort of a a game of chance and that's how they would choose to go in. And so the idea that he got to go in was literally a once in a lifetime kind of a deal. So he goes in and the Bible tells us that an angel of the Lord appeared to him. Standing on the right side of the altar of incense, when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. And I've said this before, but every time I read accounts of angels, I'm reminded by this truth that these are powerful beings. They're not the cute little figurines with the little halos that we see in the nice little cute little wings. Every time somebody in Scripture sees an angel, they're terrified. The Bible says that Zechariah in verse 12 was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you. Many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit of power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Here's truth number two. We prepare our hearts for Christmas by seeing that God prepared the way for Christ. Not only did God have a plan from the beginning Not only did he prophesy about the coming Messiah, but God specifically had a plan and he prepared the way for Jesus to come. Now something interesting about the study of the Gospels and the birth of Jesus Christ. If you were to go back and look at the end of the Old Testament, you would come to the book of Malachi. It's the last book of the Old Testament. After Malachi was written, we have 400 years of silence. Some of you may be familiar with this idea. So between the writing of the Old Testament... And the writing of the New Testament, the intertestamental period is what some people refer to it as. There are 400 years of silence. There are no prophets, no voices spoken, the Lord hasn't come, no other books have been added. And so we've got this sense that the 400 years before the birth of Christ, nobody says anything. So when Gabriel comes to Zechariah in the temple, it's the first time that anybody has spoken of the Lord in 400 years. That's fascinating to me. So this is a big deal. And the angel of the Lord comes to Zechariah and he tells him, listen, we've heard your prayer, the Bible says. Your wife is going to have a son. And then he says, you're going to name the boy John. And then he gives some characteristics. Look again with me in verse 14. There's some characteristics we see of John. Some are important 
And then as we get towards the end, they're very important. What he's going to do, verse 14, John's going to be a joy and he's going to be a delight. Many will rejoice because of his birth. There's going to be excitement and joy and happiness because of this son you're going to have. Verse 15, he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will be filled with the Spirit. Now, let me, let me just pause there for a second. That's important because the Holy Spirit's not going to come until Pentecost, right? So before Pentecost, some people will, were filled by the Spirit, but not many. And few, almost none, other than this account here, were filled with the Spirit before they were born. Look at the end of verse 15. John is going to be filled with the Spirit even before he was born. You see that? That's why we'll get to this next week. But when Mary comes and speaks to Elizabeth, the Bible says that the baby leapt in her womb. Some of you remember that story? He literally moves and does something crazy. He's filled with the Spirit, and his Spirit testifies with Christ. It's a beautiful picture of the preparation. But look at verse 16. Again, we're thinking about John the Baptist. He's going to bring back the people of Israel to the Lord, right? There's this sense of turning back. Verse 17, he will go on before the Lord. He's going to prepare the way of the Lord in the power of Elijah. Now look at the end of verse 17. To turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. He's going to go before the Lord. He's going to prepare the way of the Lord. And he's going to begin to turn the hearts of parents and children and disobedient people toward righteousness. John's going to go ahead of the Lord and he's going to prepare people for righteousness. Now we have a word for this. We use this word, and those of you that are faith trained that did that with us many, many years ago, you'll remember, when you turn from one thing, from wickedness and from sinfulness, and you turn towards Christ, we call that what? Repentance. To repent means to turn. And so John is actually coming before Christ. He's preparing the hearts of the people. I think that's interesting as we think about preparing our hearts. He's preparing the hearts of the people for repentance. To turn from their evil ways, to turn from their wickedness, to turn from their sinful ways, and to turn toward the things of Christ. Now let me just be clear. I want to be clear about this in case there's confusion. There is no salvation in Christ without repentance. You need to understand that. It's not just a, a good feeling or a word you say. Those things are part of salvation. We certainly need to say things and we will sense joy and happiness in who Christ is. But there has to be a moment where we have turned, where we have repented. We've turned from our wickedness, from our sinful ways. We've turned from those things. We've turned our hearts towards those things, away from those things, and towards Christ. That's the idea of repentance. So if you say to me, yeah, I think I'm a Christian, I love the Lord, and I come to church on a regular basis, but I've never, the idea of repentance, I've never really done anything like that. I would encourage you to come talk to me. Let's talk more about that. Because there should be a, a moment in your life where there should be this understanding of repentance. In fact, that, that's kind of the foundation of what John the Baptist is going to teach. It's the foundation of what Christ is going to teach. In fact, if you were to study and read on in the book of Matthew, I want you to listen in the days John the Baptist came right after he's born, he becomes a man, he goes into the wilderness, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, here's the quote from John the Baptist, repent, see that, for the kingdom of heaven is near. It's the same thing that Jesus says. The Bible tells us from that moment forward, Jesus began to, re to preach about repentance. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so we see this man that is going to be sent of the Lord, 
We see this man that is going to prepare the way of Christ. And the way he's going to prepare the way of Christ is by having people turn from their sinful, selfish, wicked ways, turning the hearts of children and parents and the wicked towards the things of righteousness so they can be prepared to hear the gospel of Christ. Now, verse 18, as we finish up. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, my wife is well along in years. And the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have seen, excuse me, I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah, wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he'd seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Here's truth number three. We prepare our hearts for Christmas by believing that Messiah will come. We prepare our hearts for Christmas by believing Messiah will come. Zechariah fails to believe. He fails to listen to the angel He fails to fully trust. And again, if we're making connections and we're trying to understand Old Testament, the idea of the barrenness and the age issue is the same picture of Abraham and Sarah. But when the Lord came to Abraham and Sarah, the three visitors, and said to Abraham, I'm going to come back in a year and your wife's going to be pregnant, what did Abraham do? You remember? He, He doubted and they laughed. It's the same picture we see here. Zachariah says, I'm I'm just not really sure I can believe you because I'm an old man. My wife is well along in years. I need you, here's what he's basically saying, to prove to me that what you're saying is accurate. And so there are three things I want to give you very quickly as I finish up this morning. Three ways in which the angel proves that this is true to Zachariah. Number one, verse 19, the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. Gabriel says, you know, here's the one way you can believe what I say is true. I'm Gabriel. Enough said. Now, I just want to give you a little caution as you live your life. If the angel Gabriel ever appears to you and tells you something, you should listen. (laughs) Gabriel says, I'm Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God. Not only that, but I've been sent to proclaim to you good news. Now, this term good news is used 90 times in the New Testament. Every time the word good news or the phrase good news is mentioned, it's always in reference to Christ. You understand that? Gabriel says, look, I'm Gabriel, I stand with the Lord, I'm in the presence of the Lord, and I've come to share with you good news, which means I've come to share with you about Christ Messiah that you've been studying about and you've heard about and for all these centuries has been talked about and you've been looking ahead to one day Messiah. I'm telling you that the good news is on the way and your son, Zachariah, is going to prepare the way for Jesus. The second thing we see is that Zachariah can't speak. He's unable to share with the people what he's seen. 
But the Bible says they come out and they see him and they know that he's seen a vision. They know that the Lord has spoken to him. They know that the Lord has done something they just can't quite understand because he can't speak. And then thirdly, maybe the best proof that this is actually accurate is that Elizabeth, the Bible tells us, is going to get pregnant and eventually give birth to John the Baptist. And so we see this picture here in Luke chapter 1, this picture of preparation, this picture of preparing This picture of getting ready for the Lord. And we see that his salvation is coming through Jesus Christ. We see the idea of good news. We see the idea of Gabriel. We see the idea of Zachariah and his wife eventually trusting the Lord. And John the Baptist coming and preparing the way for Christ who will bring the good news. I love what Galatians says because we wonder about the timing of the Lord. But the Bible tells us in the book of Galatians that when the time had fully come, God sent his son. Right on time. But for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before that, he had been preparing. He had been prophesying. He had been sending people. He sends John. John prepares the way. And we're ready now for the birth of Christ. So I just want to challenge you this Christmas season. As you make all sorts of preparations for Christmas... I want to encourage you as we study through the first portion of the book of Luke. I want to encourage you to prepare your hearts for the arrival of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the prophecies, Father. There's so many things that we could have said. There's so much information. There's so many prophecies we could have studied, Father. But I pray we would just... Get the the big picture of the preparation, Lord, of the prophecies of how you sent people for many centuries to continue to walk in faithfulness to you. And, Father, how you eventually sent Zechariah and Elizabeth, how you sent John, Father, their son, to prepare the way. And so I, I just pray, Lord, as we walk through the Christmas season that we wouldn't get so caught up in the things of life, so caught up in the things of this world that we forget the true meaning. But Father, I pray we'd remember all you've done for us and all you've given to us. And I pray that we'd prepare our hearts for Christmas so we're ready to receive Messiah and that he would do great things in our hearts and in our minds. Lord, we love you and we serve you in all things. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can stand. We're going to give you the chance if you want to come and pray at the altar. I just want to encourage you. I know as we talk about salvation and talk about repentance, I can assure you not everybody that hears my voice this morning has accepted Christ. And so if you've got a doubt or you're not sure, or you realize you've never repented or never accepted Christ, come down let me talk to you about it. Stay after, let me talk to you. Because not only does, does this life matter for you, but all of eternity hangs in the balance. And so we give you the time to respond as we sing together. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.